And I'll be honest with you, I am frustrated. Try, I, I, I barely accomplished Romans chapter 9 in one hour. Then Romans chapter 10, I felt like I did pretty good last week on Romans chapter 10, getting it in one hour. But Romans chapter 11 is proving to be impossible. <laughs> so whatever I'm able to accomplish, I'll be very delighted. But I wish I had three Sundays <clears throat> to just deal with Romans chapter 11 because it deals with the future of Israel. And most people sort of move on. Have you noticed the news cycle? They watched with the Kavanaugh election or, or the, the appointment to the Supreme Court. And it was so big, all the problems over there. Then wasn't it like last week there was a there were all these packages mailed? I'm talking about American politics, I know. But I'm just saying that the, there were all of these packages that had bombs in them or something. But within a few days, we're now moved on to a new thing. And then we moved on to another thing. And it's a constant flow of something. And then, well, listen, that's not how God works. And, and you know, uh, when, when, when people think of Israel, and they think of the Old Testament, they think of, they think it, it's all old. It's all behind us. It doesn't belong in the here and now. And I'm here to tell you, no, no, no. What's been around, what goes around, comes around. And all of the, the Old Testament is not fulfilled. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament is a pattern of something yet to come. And it is absolutely mind-boggling how brilliant God is. So don't just say, oh, that's old stuff. It's not. It's not. So when we're looking at the future of Israel, chapter 11 just lays it out in such a way that no other human, no human author could have ever just summarized and said, this is what's going to happen. And I'm going to try and give you some of the things so just if I'm rushing, it's because I'm aware of the time and I'm aware of what you can handle. But I want to give you some thoughts tonight about the future of Israel. Number one, Romans 11 is a final summary that Paul attempts to explain about the Jewish people. In chapter 9, he's talking about the position of Israel, that they are the, the special people of God. Uh, and they have a special use by God. God's not through with them. God... The Jews aren't a, a, a kitchen towel that God used for a little while and then threw away. Israel has a special position. Chapter 10, we learn that Israel has a need. And what is the need of Israel? The gospel, okay? And Paul's prayer was that Israel would be saved. Talked about that last week. Chapter 11, today we're talking, tonight we're talking about the future of Israel, how they still fit in God's plan. Now, throughout chapters 9, 10, 11... Paul asks about two dozen very big questions. I've, I've tried to answer, try, try to understand all of his about 26 questions um, in, these, in these three chapters. But there's one big question that, that he asks at the beginning of chapter 11. And that is, if you look at chapter 11, verse 1, he says, I say then, hath God cast away his people? And the next two words are? which are the strongest words in the world. They are, no way, Jose. If you want to be down from the Hebrew, no, it's a Greek. Anyway, it's, it is, it is uh, the, the most important thing to realize is that God has not cast off his people, and he wants to show how that is true. Now, the future of Israel is brighter than any of us can imagine. Look at chapter 11, look at verse 26. 11, 26. And so, all Israel shall be what? Wow. Not damned, not destroyed, not thrown away. All Israel shall be saved. Wouldn't it be nice if somebody could come to you and say, all your family is going to get saved? How would you, how would you react? Amen. 
You see, he's praying and he's crying out and he's anguishing in chapter 9 and in chapter 10 about the condition of Israel and he's frustrated because they reject not only Christ, but they reject his attempt to try to win them to Christ. But in chapter 11, he comes, Israel shall be saved. Not all Israel throughout all of history, but Israel at a, at a period of time, the tribulation, Israel will turn to God as a nation and it will be like life from the dead. So there's a bright future. So you better get in on the work that, that, of God that he is doing in and through Israel. Don't just write them off. So watch Israel, love Israel, learn from Israel, look forward to the plan that God... I have no idea. It's not plugged in. There are reasons why things happen. Let's see. Sometimes you think you did everything, but... Try again. I will give it a moment <laughs> and carry on. I might have run it all the way down. That's my problem. So we'll give it a moment, and I'll just take it away. You don't. You just need the Bible anyway. So follow along here in chapter eleven. Uh, we're going to try to learn about the future of Israel. So chapter 11, verses 1, 2, and 3, I'm going to talk to you about God's attitude towards Israel. I say then, had God cast away his people, God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God had not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Watch ye not. Watch is an old word for what? What does it mean? No, understand. Ponder, what is an older word? It just says, don't you know what the scripture saith of Elijah, or Elias? How he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets. Dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. Now, I want you to understand, when he, when he describes, when Elijah describes Israel, he says, they're, they're ruined. They are uh, reprobate. They are, uh, they're, 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 they're away from you completely, God. But I want you to see, verse, verse two, God hath not cast away, what are the next two words? Alright, circle those two words. Israel is still called my people. Go to Exodus chapter three. Exodus chapter three. And verse seven. <clears throat> Exodus chapter three. And verse seven. Exodus 3, 7, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of... What are the next two words? Of my people. So going all the way back to Exodus chapter 3, you've got um, Jehovah, God, saying, I've seen the affliction of my people when they're in Egypt, heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And uh, uh, the point is, God chose Israel to bless and protect and use them because of Abraham, not because of their goodness. And can I be honest with you? Do you know why God is good to any one of us here this, this evening? 
because of Jesus. See, when, when God looked at the Jews, he looked at them through Abraham's faith. And Abraham was known as the friend of God, and because of Abraham, God blessed all of Abraham's descendants. Now, I'm a, I'm a Gentile, I'm a nobody, but how is it that God can actually have any kindness toward me who never had a kind thought towards him? Because of Jesus Christ. And because of, of the place that Jesus Christ took, like Abraham toward his descendants, I, being born again, all God sees is I'm, I'm, I'm related to Jesus, just like the Jews were related to Abraham. So it is breathtaking. Um, and uh, I, I thought of an example. Uh, anybody who's, ever, who, who's married in here, some of you know that you have in-laws and you have outlaws. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. So, but when you marry somebody, guess who you're also marrying? The outlaws, all right? <laughs> that uncle that you wish never came at Christmas or whatever. But all of a sudden, you have to love the whole kit and caboodle. And when, because of Jesus Christ, God was able to love the whole world. And, and he invites the whole world to come to him when we have nothing to bring. We have nothing of value that, that can never do anything for God. And God invites us in his family. Now, uh, Romans 8, or back to Romans chapter 11, I want you to see God's attitude towards Israel is that they never stopped being the elect. Romans chapter 11, verse 28. As concerning, it's our memory verse, isn't it? As concerning the gospel, what does it say? All right. They're enemies for our sakes, because they don't like us. But concerning, but as touching the election, they are what? Beloved for the Father's sake. Now, who's the fathers there? Is that God the Father is referring to? No, it's not capital F, Father. But the fathers being Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, like the father, the founding fathers of a nation. But it's the fathers uh, um, of, uh, uh, of the Israel nation, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because of them, God says, they are beloved because of the fathers. They are part of the election. So let me bring, let's see, I thought I did all that, yeah. So God's attitude towards his people Israel are still God's people. They are. And when we talk about election, election means being chosen for a a special place or a purpose. So if I elect to, I don't know, I'm not a cook. But, you know, I I was just, I I, I learned something today. A, A chef or a cook cooks by taste. And, and adjusts based on the flavor or whatever. But somebody who bakes always bakes by recipe. I thought, that's cool. All right. But when it comes to, when, it, when, when we're talking about picking and choosing, now, uh, I'm no chef and I'm no baker, but it, it, when you cook something, you choose different flavors and things. That's, you're electing to use a certain, uh, spice or whatever to make a flavor. And God chose the Jews to use and to, to flavor the world. You want to be that poor of an example, but to affect the world. And that is election. It doesn't mean automatic salvation. I have people who told me, oh, I'm part of the elect. What they mean is God elected me to be saved. No, he didn't. Uh, God elected 
Jesus Christ, that's who he elected to save. Do you see the difference? He elected, and if there's only, if there, if there was one great thing you could learn about election, Jesus is the elect one. Okay? And he was elected to save. I choose, in my heart of hearts, as stupid and as limited as I am, I choose to just trust him. He's the one that saves, not me. Did you know Pharaoh was predestined to be used of God? Pharaoh was predestined. He wasn't predestined to hell. God said, I'm just going to use that stubborn jerk. That's what God did. Moses was predestined to lead Israel out of Egypt. It did not mean that Moses was automatically saved. It didn't mean that Pharaoh was automatically unsaved. Israel was predestined, was elected to be used by God throughout all centuries. You know, Christians, you're predestined too. You're predestined to be like Jesus. Now, how's God, how's it coming? (laughs) Is God making much success in that department? Are you much more like Jesus this year than you were last year? We are predestined to be like Jesus. I want to show you, go to Acts chapter 9. Go back to the left, Acts chapter 9 and verse 15. Start in verse 13. This is right after Saul of Tarsus gets saved and God tells Ananias to go in there and and, uh, encourage him and get him baptized. In verse 13, then Ananias argues with God. I know you've never argued with God, but Ananias did. Ananias answered and said, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he, Saul of Tarsus, had done to the saints of Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said back unto him, go thy way. For he is a, what's the next two words? He's a chosen spice. He's an elected, a special vessel unto me. I want him to bear my name to the Gentiles and to kings and to the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So, uh, let me say this. Secondly, not only are Israel God's people and his elect and his chosen ones, the Jews can and do still get saved. Go back to Romans chapter 11. Notice, if Israel is elect, why do they have to get saved? Anybody want to answer that? Because election doesn't mean saved. Does that make sense? Electing, look, uh, I ask um, Eric to work on the bus, so he reaches and he gets a maybe a, a soft mallet. <laughs> That's his, I would use a heavy one or whatever. It's his choice to use a certain tool for a certain job. He elects, he chooses to use certain things. God chose to use the Jews. Amen. That's the whole purpose of the word elect. Um, but thankfully, chapter 11 says, has God cast away his people? God forbid. Because I'm an Israelite. I got saved. God still saves Israelites. God has not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Question, circle that word foreknew. What does that mean? What does foreknew mean, Marcus? Good. (laughs) That was deep. That's right. He knew beforehand. So let me ask you, was God ever surprised when Israel turned to idolatry? No. Did God know that Israel would go away from him and end up being scattered for centuries, hundreds of years? Did God 
sort of get caught off guard by having to judge and, judge and chasten Israel like that. No. No. He when and let me just say this. Did you know, and there's too many Christians, there are way too many Christians who they get saved, they think their sin and days are over. And then they find out, whoops, I just sinned. Oh, I've blown it. Oh, God's going to send me to hell. No. God, when he saved you, already knew you were going to mess up, and yet he still saved you. Amen? Thank God for foreknowledge. Okay? He does not create robots. He doesn't create people that he manipulates and he controls. He may control the wind. He may control the rain. But he, he, he puts pressure on us, and he guides us, but he lets us make the final decision. That's the proof in Israel. God sent prophets to them. God gave them the very word of God, and yet they willfully chose, most often, to go away from it, which shows free will. It doesn't show God micromanaging. So the great thing about Israel is he still gets them saved. Paul was one of the worst. What does he call himself? The chiefest of sinners, the Tishuk of all sinners. That's what Tishuk means, is chief. Chieftain. So, uh, uh, third, as I was starting to say, God foreknew Israel's fall ever before he knew, because in verse uh, 2, it's, it has Elias, Elijah saying, uh, against Israel, saying, Lord, they've done such awful things. They've killed thy prophets, they've digged down thine altars, and I'm the only one. He's a tigger. You ever watched Winnie the Pooh? The only wonderful thing about tiggers is tiggers a wonderful thing. Never mind. Oh, you guys should read books. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, and, and let me just say this. Election does not mean perfection. Did you know uh, uh, God loves you? He loved you before you ever had any intention towards him. Hallelujah. Amen. He loved you when you were unlovely. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Without strength, we were ungodly. So, that is awesome. God knows us. And yet, he still loves us. That ought to just, you ought to just stop there and go, don't say any more, Pastor. I want to ponder that for a month. Because it's true. It's true. So, let me rush ahead. God's work on Israel. Look in verse 4. 11, 4. But what saith the answer of God unto him? Well, how does God answer him? I have reserved uh, to myself 7,000 men. Out of all of Israel, at that time there might have been a million, there were 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Paul continues, verse 5, Even so then at this present time, there is also a remnant. Circle that word. These are all good Bible words. There's a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace... It is no more than is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. You know, uh, Paul is kind of having fun saying, words have meaning. You can't say that grace equals work. No, because grace, by meaning, has no work in it. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work, because each one has clear opposite meanings. Verse 7, what then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for as a nation. But the election, the remnant hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. You ever felt like you're, you're, somebody's trying to explain something to you, going, I am not getting this. You ever been there? Like tonight, everybody's going, All right, well, there is ignorance, and then there's blindness. And God has imposed blindness on the nation of Israel. That's what he's describing. 
And don't you fear. Isn't it, isn't it something? I mean, you go up, it's so plain. I think the gospel is so simple. I think the gospel is so inviting. I wish I was Pentecostal so I could get saved again and again and again and again. I loved it. I don't understand why when you explain it and somebody just looks at it and goes, why is that? Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. To the right, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In verse 4. There are two blinders going on right uh, at work. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in verse 3. For if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, not God of heaven, but the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So, naturally, before you and I got saved, who was already blinding us? Satan. He was doing his best to put his fingers in our ears, to keep our eyes distracted, to keep our eyes closed, to, for us to resist the truth so that we didn't get saved. Well, praise God, somebody kept working on us. Somebody kept inviting us. Somebody kept upsetting us. And we got saved. But now, when you go to a Jew, there's another layer who also is keeping them blind. The God of heaven. God says, I've had to put a a blindness on them. It's not a damning blindness, but I've made it even harder for them to to respond to the gospel. Let me me jump ahead because there's stuff I wish I could say, but I'm just going to say it now so I don't forget. It's because of pride. The Jews have a problem with pride. You guys don't have that problem. But the Jews were given, a, it was, it's, a, it's a byproduct of self-righteousness. Remember as Pharaoh had Moses approach him, and Moses says, you better let my people go. And uh, God says it. And, and what did Pharaoh say? I don't know who the Lord is, and I will not let them go. And Moses says, you asked for it. <laughs> and because of Pharaoh's hard heart, God pushed the pressure on and hardened it more. If Pharaoh had said, well, tell me about the Lord. Who is this guy? Why do you want to go worship him? You know, with every response to light, God gives you more light. But in every rejection of light, God shuts the light down. So the Jews, because they have so much rejected the Messiah, rejected the Bible, if you ever, and I'm, I'm being very careful but if we had been in that synagogue over in Pittsburgh and sat there and it had heard, they, they wouldn't have even read but maybe two scriptures and about 25 platitudes and some traditional sayings that you say over um, their bar mitzvahs and things. They, they don't focus on the Bible. They don't focus on, 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 on God. They do talk about God. I'm not saying that. But you'd be shocked at how little God fits into their worship. They're Jews. And it would probably shock you to no end. And you'd go, why? Because when you walk away from the Messiah, when you walk away from the Bible, and you say, it doesn't make sense to me, what else do you have? You have nothing. And so if you sat in on a, in a Jewish um, uh, worship service, it would scare you to go, is God even here? And it's because there's a blindness there. And listen, if you ever go to um, uh, Acts chapter 26. I know I'm not going to finish. 
Acts chapter 26. I'll just do my best for what I can give you. Acts chapter 26, verse 16. Jesus speaking to Paul. And I love these verses because they encourage me that when somebody is doubly blinded... By the way, who did Jesus spend more time healing in the Gospels? Blind people. You ever wonder, why did they, they do that? Why was blind Bartimaeus? Why two blind people over here? Why this blind? Whoa, what's so important about learning about blind? Because there was a blindness in Israel that God was trying to heal. I'll show you Acts chapter 26, verse 16. But arise, Saul, stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. Jesus appeared to him in the middle of the, uh, of the way to Damascus. To make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles on whom now I send thee. I'm going to protect you. But I'm sending you to open their eyes. Now, it sounds hard enough, but it goes on. To turn them from darkness to light, and it even gets harder. And from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified. So the soul winner, for the, the, the simple person, here's Dean saying, you ought to carry a gospel tract with you, which is true. And you go, oh, nobody ever gets saved when I hand them a tract. Don't sell yourself so short. Because if you, just, if you just take it seriously, what you're doing is the most important work. God may surprise you with the next Saul of Tarsus getting saved, who you may not win a, a, a lot of people, but the person you win to Christ, that person may win a thousand person, people to Christ. Amen. Ananias was not known for being a great soul winner, but when he went and he talked to Saul of Tarsus, he let loose a lion. Amen. So just keep giving, because... In the end, you're stubborn, uh, uh, stammering, fumbling, fumbling words and um, uh, confused answers. Maybe just what somebody needs for their eyes to be opened. Enough said. Uh, God's work. Did I get all the way down to verse uh, 10? I don't know if I did. Let's go back there. Nope, I didn't. Um, so, verse 7. What then, if Israel had not obtained that which he seeketh for? And they haven't. But the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded, according as it was prophesied, as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of... Like, it's like Sunday afternoon. Just, just not, you're not, you just want to go to sleep. Eyes that should not see anymore, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. Even David saith, let their table be made a snare, a trap, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense, a payback unto them. David's, David's praying about the future Jews. He says, let their eyes be darkened, that they may not see, and bow down their back, all way, falling away. Now, let me say this. All right, two big points. Why has God worked in and on Israel? God could have just, I mean, if God is this sovereign God who just, he just predestines, and he elects, and he saves who he wants, and he damns who he doesn't want, if that's true, why didn't he protect Israel? Why didn't he just save Israel? Why, didn't, why, why in the world couldn't God have just made all of these Jews to believe if it actually all worked by God manipulating and making people believe? Because he doesn't do that. There is free will. God constantly works through the Jewish people 
only because of a promise. Not because they're any good, but because of the Jews. I mean, because of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So why has God done, and what is his design on it? He's done it because he wants to bless who he promised Abraham he would bless. He actually called Abraham his friend. I count some of you, I try to count as many of you as possible, my friend. Okay? But to actually be a friend, for God to call me a friend, that'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? And because of that closeness between Abraham and God, God said, I'm going to take care of your kids, kind of like the mafia, you know? I'll take care of you, you know? When you're, you're going to do this job for me and I'll take care of your family, you know? But no, God takes care of Abraham's family all the way out into eternity. Secondly, he wants to save them. Go to Luke chapter 19. Luke 19 and verse 10. Looking at verse 9, Jesus, Luke 19, 9, Jesus is in the house of Zacharias. Zacharias is, is delighted because Jesus wants to be there. Nobody else wanted to be around this tax collector. Verse 9, And Jesus said to him, This day, this day, is salvation come to this house. Why? For as much as he also is the son of Abraham, what the Jews had rejected says, He's a publican. He's collecting money for the, for the, for the Romans. He, he's not a Jew. He's a traitor. Jesus says, no, he's a son of Abraham, and I am sent, verse 10, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was. He says, I came to save the lost of the children of Abraham. Third reason why he's doing all this is to use them. You know, uh, we read the verse there, but you know what, what, uh, what the Jews, he's used them throughout history to be a thorn in the world in the side of this world. Um, if you read about um, the kings of Assyria, and later on the kings of, of uh, Babylon, and later in Persia, do you know what? Out of all the countries that they conquered, there was one country that seemed to always just not work out right. They seemed to always be a thorn in the side of the world empire. It was the Jews. Uh, there were times when Sennacherib tried to conquer the Jews, and 185,000 of his soldiers died one night. And he's like, man, every time I try to go against Israel, everything goes wrong. And God was using Israel to humble empires. And he still does that. Um, how God accomplishes his design is also amazing. He always has a remnant. Um, you know, uh, uh, these, these 7,000 there, it says, let's go back to Romans chapter 11, I want you to say, um, verse 4, I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. He says, I've gathered together to me men who did not, of their own free will, did not bow to Baal. God didn't say, you're not going to bow, you're not going to bow. No, it wasn't that easy. He looked around and he found 7,000 of them. Now that was a shock to Elijah because what did Elijah think? I'm the only one. And God said, no, you're not. And let me give you a little advanced revelation. You ready for this? Don't ever forget this. There are always more people saved than you think there are. There are people, I tell you, I've told you, when I worked for the telephone company years ago, 
I invited people out to church. I gave tracts out to everybody. I had my Bible on the, on the table. I had people going, oh, and I said, hey, come in. We'll, I'll answer any of your questions. Never had anybody come up to me and give me a gospel tract, ever. Everybody ever, nobody ever came up to me and says, uh, I heard you're going to be a missionary someday. Nobody. But when I was leaving, I'd been there for six and a half years, and on my, my going away party, my getaway party, when, I was, when they had a, a, a little get-together for me, and there's about 40 people there, all in my division, and I had four people come up and says, we're Christians too. <laughs> Where were you the last six years, man? There are always more people than you think there are. They may not have the courage to come out of the closet or to come out of the woodwork, but there are more people saved than you think. So God always has a remnant. Secondly, He always shows great mercy and grace toward those who aren't even interested. The grace, if you look there, He says, uh, Lord, they dig down uh, your altars, they destroyed your temples, they've killed your prophets. You know what? God still has grace toward those who don't want God. That's what grace is. Grace is a gift given whether the person wants it or not. For by grace are you saved. God saw no, no good in me. He just gave good. So grace offers to all people everywhere the gift of salvation, whether they want it or not. Will they take it is up to them. Does that make sense? Okay, so third, he ultimately has to give people what they want. Um, go back to chapter 10 and verse 3. They, speaking of Israel, they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness by their self-righteousness, by keeping the law or at least trying, they have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. What's the point? They, they got what they deserved. They're trying to get to God on their own way and they will never make it. How do, what does the Bible say? For all have sinned and come short. So God only has to give you what you want. Either you submit to God's righteousness and get eternal life or you attempt to establish your own righteousness and you reserve eternal death. And it all happens according to what's something called the election of grace. Look back in verse 5. Even so at this present time, there's also a remnant of believers, of Jewish believers, according to the election of grace. And I love this. What does that mean? It means the work of grace on Israel. <clears throat> election is God's commitment to Israel way past the time he should ever have had anything to do with them. Think about that for a minute. The election of grace is he made a choice just because he's a giving God to choose Israel that he would work through and he would use and he would send prophets to, he would be committed to, to them above all other people. He would do that and he would do it even beyond the time that they deserved him to do it. That'll put a lot of marriages back together because there are times where somebody does something and that's it, I'm fed up, that's as long as much as I can take, but God doesn't have that limit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, amen. The work of grace on Israel is eternal. That's called the election of grace. Grace, uh, as I said there, let me just get you up. Election is God's committed to Israel way past the time that he should have ever had anything to do with them. Grace is a gift offered to you, not a force pushed upon you. 
I've had too many people say, I'm praying for grace. You know what they meant? I'm praying for a feeling. I'm praying for an enablement. I'm praying for a power. That's not grace. Grace is a gift. Grace is a givingness of God. Grace is not this, this power pushed upon you. Grace is the fact that God gives. That's grace. And if you ever have grace, one with another, it just means people who've hurt you, you still bless back. That's having grace. And God has grace towards us. Grace is God's acceptance of a sinner on the basis of, are you ready? The work of Christ. Grace is the acceptance of a sinner by God on the basis of the work of Christ. Grace is not because of my effort or else grace has no meaning. If grace requires me to work, then grace has lost its meaning. Grace means gift, full stop. By the way, people can frustrate God's grace. I'm going to take you to Galatians. You're in Romans. Go to the right. Find Galatians chapter 2 and verse 21. 221. How many of you ever heard of the phrase irresistible grace? Anybody ever heard that phrase? It's part of TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. Calvinism, irresistible grace, that if God wants to put grace in your life, you cannot resist it. Well, let's look at this. Galatians 2.21 says, For I do not frustrate the grace of God. You know, you can frustrate, you can hinder, you can block the grace of God. How can you, how can they, if I'm unsaved, how could I frustrate God's grace? Anybody want to tell me? I just, uh, go to, uh, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter, it's either two or four. Yep, chapter two, verse three. Hebrews chapter two, verse three. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? How are you going to escape the wrath of God and the judgment of God if you neglect to get saved? You know, God's grace is He's offered you salvation and you don't even have to reject it. All you have to do is what? Neglect it. Ignore it. Put it off till tomorrow. And most people go to hell not because they, they don't think there's a God, not because they don't think that there's a responsibility that they need to get saved. They just put it off. And then they wake up in hell and they go, too late. Mm. All right. Um, so the meaning of the phrase, according to the election of grace, is that God's choice is to have grace toward those who don't deserve it. So when God is working on somebody, here's a, here's a really um, upsetting truth for some Christians. You see God working in somebody else's life and you feel abandoned. That's the election of grace. God's choosing to use them instead of you. That's his choice by his grace. How many of you ever heard the phrase, there but for the grace of God go I? All right. What they mean is a little bit more than that. They mean, all right, I should be like so-and-so. I should be in the gutter. I should be dead. But God seems to just still want to use me. And there's no explanation except he's chosen to use me. He wants to save how many people? All people. He has grace toward all his people. But the election of grace is that he will use all people 
And he and you ought to be excited when he does. That's why. That's why when somebody else is blessed, you ought to rejoice with them. Amen. Because grace just happens to be pouring on them at that moment. Maybe next year we pour it on you. Amen. That's great. And the Jews are frustrated that Gentiles are learning the Bible. And that Gentiles know God better than the Jews. And the Jews are all upset, but that's grace. And that ought to, and Paul says it over and he says, Gentiles kind of provoke the Jews to jealousy so that they start searching the Scriptures and they find out how to be saved themselves. I wish I could take you on further, but I'm going to stop there and um, we're going to pray. Father, if nothing else, I pray we got a little bit deeper meaning of the word grace and a little bit better. There's no way I could summarize your will, how you work. Your ways are past finding out the depth of the riches of the knowledge and wisdom of God beyond us. But we get to sample it when we try to understand the Jews. And it transfers to us that we're into this marvelous thing called salvation. Because you just, that's your nature. You just love. Your, your, um, your work with the Jews is not limited to just the Jews, but it shows to the world that you want the unwanted. You want the rejectors. You loved and died for the sinners starting with Israel and ending with me. And Lord, I pray that if we ever get a chance to witness to a Jew, we would we'd grab them, we'd set them down, we would never let a chance go by. Because to the Jew first is our calling that we neglect. I pray that, God, we would get a chance to love Israel, bless them, maybe even win them because we've got a chance to look at Israel in the Bible here these, this month. I pray that every one of us just takes our salvation a whole lot more seriously. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.